Welcome to the 105th episode of BoagWorld.com, a podcast for those involved in designing, developing, and running websites on a daily basis. Have you been at the eggnog already then, Paul? Yes, it's our Christmas special. Hooray! Yeah, six more sleeps to go. I don't feel in the slightest bit Christmassy. Oh, I do. You know what we need? In order I to fill Christmas, some um, sleigh bells. Sleigh bells. And do you remember we put annoying background music that drove everybody nuts? Oh, well, we can do that. Show. No problem. Mm. And I'll fade it in round about now. now. Don't really, Because uh, <laughs> I actually have had specific complaints from people saying, do not do that in this, in this Christmas <laughs> special. So, and we, we did lots of nice things last year, that, none of which we're doing this year. Because you did guitar playing. Yeah, which came out really shit, though, didn't it? Well, it did come out shit. Not that the guitar playing was shit, obviously. But, yes. The sound quality was, so I kind of thought, well, why bother? So we're not really doing anything very Christmassy for this Christmas special, so it's well, not I'm, really I'm a Christmas special. I'm feeling Christmassy. <laughs> that doesn't come across very well in radio. You not don't... that it is radio, but you know what I mean. How do you know that, Paul? What? <laughs> because you don't look Christmassy but, and you don't well, that, sound Christmassy. Ma- yeah, see, but yeah, to other people I might sound Christmassy. Well, you don't. <laughs> Although you do look vaguely Christmassy because you've got the Quite white beard. Santa beard. <laughs> you yeah. knew where I was going, didn't you? Yeah. That's really sad. <laughs> so we're back in the office again. Hopefully um, the audio quality will be better this time. Um, as yeah, we- it was just a freaky thing last week. It was a bit. It was only on the intro as well. Yeah, I reckon it's dodgy lead. You're wearing dodgy lead. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So first uh, first up, it's Christmas come early for one listener of the Boag World podcast. <laughs> Did you notice that seamless link yeah. then? I'm getting good you're, at this. You're a professional. I know, I am. Paul. I may not be able to say the intro, but um, other than that. Yeah, so congratulations to Ryan Downey, who is our lucky winner of the Clear Left Training Competition. Ryan um, can either pick to attend the Bulletproof Ajax course or a day learning CSS mastery. But... If you didn't win, don't despair. There are still places available, but it's going to cost you £345 plus that. (laughs) Which is a lot of money. Yeah. But if you can get your company to spring for it, that's good. And I have to say, it is worth it. I hate to give the Mm -hmm. clear left lot a compliment, because (laughs) obviously they're scum. Um, But uh, I did do Jeremy's Ajax training course. I can't remember why. At some occasion I did it anyway. And I have to say, it was really, really good. I learned absolutely loads. And I'm sure that Andy's CSS course is just (laughs) as good before he gets upset. Um, So go go to the clear left website for more details. um, And start pressuring your employer now to to cough up money and to, to do it. So there you go. That's a cool prize. That is a cool prize. Very cool. That's our Christmas gift to our listeners. So there we go. Okay, so let's move on to the news. Okay, right. Oh, crap. I just recorded that. that Me whistling. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Leave it in. No, no, no. It's it's Christmassy whistling. You were whistling a Christmas tune. Yes, but very out of tune. Doesn't matter. Okay, that'll get people feeling festive. Okay, this is going to be a really <laughs> rubbish show. Right, news, news. Yeah. So without about uh, with the uh, I really am struggling You're not with today. It, are you? I know. I'm feeling okay. I'm, <laughs> I've had a lovely sausage sandwich for breakfast. So mm. I'm all happy. That was nice. I'm jealous now. Mm, see, told <laughs> you. Um, yeah. So without a doubt, the biggest story of the week, and in many ways, I would go as far as saying the biggest story of the year. Ooh. Well, I actually read this one, so... <coughs> and, and it wasn't that good, was it? <sighs> not really. <laughs> no. um, yeah, you're not. It's not something you're interested in. But I think it, it's quite interesting. Not so much the story itself, but ha- what 
the story has started snowballing. Shall I just get to the point? Well, I was, was going to say, you can probably measure importance of news stories on whether I've read them or not. And you've read and this one. And I have one. read this one. Wow, must be important then. Yeah. So this is the fact that um, Opera are filing an antitrust suit against Microsoft. Microsoft. What is wrong with me? Microsoft. We re- I, you know, <laughs> see, if we were professional, we'd start this again, but we're not. People don't like it when it's no. all edited and smooth and... People like a bit of rough around the edges. Yeah, that's what it is. So this story is huge, not because one browser manufacturer is litigating against another, because let's face it, that happens all the time, uh, but because of the strange ripple effect this seems to be causing in the web design community. Mm. Very kind of, well, Mm. not really at all. Um, (laughs) However, before we get into the ripples, let's look at the antitrust suit itself. Opera's beef seems to focus on two areas. First, they object to the fact that Internet Explorer is being bundled with Windows. Oh, what a surprise. Mm, We've never heard that before. Ooh, didn't Netscape Mm. try and do this back ages ago in America? But anyway. Second, they're also complaining about Microsoft's lack of commitment to web standards. Now, that's a bit steep. Well, yes, call me an old cynic, but I feel like this kind of stinks of a massive PR exercise, to be honest. Yeah. Um, oh, not we're, not enough people are downloading Opera. How can we... Uh, yeah, you know. exactly. How can we get a bit of PR uh, and cause a bit of stir? So, uh, yes, it, it, this feels especially like a PR exercise when it comes to the kind of compliance um, with standards kind of argument. And as um, Eric Meyer points out, the time of f- uh, kind of claiming this has kind of passed, really. And, okay, yeah. back in the, the IE6 days, you could understand Opera going, you know, Microsoft need to pull their socks up and they need to support standards and all the rest of it. Because they but, did. Yeah. But they I, don't now. No, <laughs> exactly. IE7 is a huge leap forward. And, okay, <laughs> it's not perfect. And they argue that it's not doesn't comply with the acid two test and all this kind of blah 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 but it's a huge step forward and it's fairly obvious that microsoft are actively developing ie8 already and they're moving forward and they seem to be kind of pulling their weight really so um, that all sounded very suspicious to to me it it kind of feels like more like they're pandering to the gripes of the web design community so web designers like moaning about internet explorer Um, and it was like you could imagine some meeting in opera where they sat down and said, right, okay, well, we want to, we want to kind of um, sue Microsoft to get it unbundled so the, the um, Internet Explorer isn't the only you know, mm. bundled up browser, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Oh, oh, that won't be very popular. How can we make it a bit sound more popular? I know, let's bash Microsoft for not supporting standards. And it feels like they're kind of just drumming up some support for something that, other, you know, that otherwise people not wouldn't, wouldn't be popular but people wouldn't give a monkey's ass about really because mm. i can't say i get very excited about it however as i've already said the, the kind of antitrust suit itself is not the most interesting part of this story the real clincher is a spin-off discussion that has emerged primarily sparked up um by andy clark who who likes to say the occasional <laughs> provocative thing um now, he argues uh, that this suit makes the position of the uh, W3C CSS working group untenable. Um, so, basically, the W3C CSS working group, try saying that fast mm-hmm. when you're drunk, um, basically their job is to define what the next generation of cascading style sheets is going to be and how it's going to work, which mm. is CSS3. Um, Andy sits as an expert on that um, uh, panel or working group, and um, he he's seriously concerned about how um, Opera and Microsoft, who also both sit on that panel, can work together when they're actually in litigation over precisely this issue. You know, it doesn't kind of make a very kind of conducive working relationship. Um, browser manufacturers probably really shouldn't be on the panel in the first place. Ah, see, now that's interesting because that's what Andy argues. It's well, they shouldn't. They should be consulted, mm-hmm. but they shouldn't be uh, because they will put too many constraints on it. Well, that's interesting. That's exactly what Andy argues. He argues that um, they should be like technical advisors to yeah. the to the group. Um, the browser manufacturers would argue that there's a huge level of complexity involved in this, and that actually implementing a lot of these things is extremely difficult. And so they need to be integral in the in the process of of drawing up what the specification is. Well, they would be integral to it, but they shouldn't be part of the coming up with the initial ideas bit. Yeah, 
Well, quite possibly. But anyway, this has kind of brought up a whole wider discussion about how the W3C works and has highlighted divides basically between browser manufacturers and designers and how they see the world in very different ways. Mm. Um, Without a doubt, there's a huge frustration about the kind of glacier speed at which the W3C are moving. Um, And this is kind of largely due to the challenges faced by browser manufacturers in implementing the specifications. But the story does not end there. It, there is even more discussion going on around this kind of issue. The frust- uh, frustration with slow progress extends beyond just the W3C and also encompasses or has started to encompass the Web Standards Project as well, which was set up precisely to push for better standard support. Some very prominent figures are questioning their role and saying that they're not really achieving very much anymore either. Um, now... If we, in my opinion, if we as web designers want to pressure browser manufacturers to provide better standard support, then we need to invest in organizations like WASP, the Web Standards Project. Um, and I think we need to kind of change the way we're thinking at the moment. We're, we're, we're not being very, uh, what's the word, professional, or not professional, aggressive in, mm. in the way that we go after this. We're not very organized as a web, web design community. We're all a bit kind of hippie-ish. Mm. You know, and you've got these browsers, browser manufacturers, big business, lots of money, mm. kind of fighting one another. And we're like, hello, don't forget us. We've got some really nice ideas. And actually, I think we need to start thinking like, um, you know, a professional lobbying group. Mm. You know, like the, the, in America, you get huge, you know, the oil industry lobbying group that just pour money into lobbying part, you know, government in order to get whatever changes they want. Or even the Christian right that have enormous power. Okay, because so that's of a better example. Because yeah. the oil, uh, yeah, the they're oil big up. corporates. But the Christian right would be a good example. You know, this kind of mm. coalition of people that pour money into lobbying government to get whatever their agenda is. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I think, lots of bad things. <laughs> yeah, mainly. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a Christian saying that anyway. I'm not getting into that on the show. Um, I'll make a nice Christmas episode. Yeah, bashing the Christian right. Oh my word. Um, so, uh, yes, you've I put you off now. Like, now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think we ought to take that kind of approach. And, like, I think companies like Headscape or, indeed, you know, even freelancers, whatever, should financially be supporting organizations like the WASP, which aren't asking for any money, so that they can employ full-time staff. Because the problem is, is everybody that works for WASP or, indeed, sits on the working group for W3C mm. are, are basically seconded. They're not being paid any money for that, yeah. for, for working there. They're doing it as a voluntary thing. But things would move so much faster and so much more efficiently if there were actually full-time lobbyists lobbying the uh, W3C and browser manufacturers, you know, and were, yeah. were able to come up with concrete suggestions and were, you know, had some financial backing to be able to do all this stuff. So that's my opinion about what should be done. I mean, other people have very different opinions on it, and, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, but certainly if there was some kind of you know, organization that we could support financially, I'd be happy to do that. I mean, the Digital Rights Foundation do that. They raise Mm. money um, for donations to kind of campaign against DRM and and things like that. So it's a kind of tried and, you know, tested approach. So anyway, that's that. That's actually a proper news story. It was a proper news story. And um, (laughs) from one proper news story to something that obviously isn't a proper (laughs) news story. But it's still about putting your money where your mouth is. So there is a kind of dubious link there. Um, I just wanted to mention the Boag World Christmas Appeal that we launched last week. I'd like to thank everybody that has given to the appeal. Mm. Um, We have been raising money to support an orphanage and school in an extremely uh, poor area of India. And the idea is that instead of me saying, oh, look at these poor children, you need to give to them, I know that's not going to work with you cynical, miserable (laughs) web designers. So instead I'm saying... Think about Boag World. How much have you got out of Boag World over the last two years? You know, how much would you pay for the entertainment that you've received? <laughs> yeah, because there's no knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> On this basis, they'd actually be paying us, wouldn't they, probably? <laughs> oh, we'd be paying them, I mean. Yeah, so um, how much is it worth to you? And give us that amount of money, and we'll pass it on to this orphanage. Um, so far, we've collected, according to my show notes, XXX amount of money, which yes. I was supposed to fill in. Is that a million morning. pounds? Uh, yeah, that much. <laughs> no, I think we've, we've um, raised about £450, which is a nice little start for a, for a nice little podcast. And I was asking people for kind of £3 a 
pop, really. So that's that's quite encouraging. Um, and we are still collecting. So even if you hear this show after Christmas, we are still collecting. We'll still take mm. your money from you. So um, to donate something or for more information, go to christmas.boagworld.com and you can find out information there. So please, if you have found this show useful over the last couple of years, then give money. For those of you that have given money, thank you very much. It is most gratefully received. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, my last news story of the day because I'm only doing three today, because we've got to fit in all the Christmassy stuff that we're not doing. We're kind of doing Christmassy stuff. You didn't say what we were actually doing at the start of the show, did you? No, we normally do. Should we do it now? Well, they can't Bit do that halfway through the news. How, how unprofessional is that? Yeah. No more unprofessional <laughs> than missing it then, entirely. Yeah, exactly. But no, think of it like this. Think of it as a surprise. Oh, it's like presents. It, it is. Like yeah. unwrapping, <laughs> unwrapping presents. presents. What's <laughs> the next section of the show going to be? Yeah, so not only is Christmas upon us, but um, the year is drawing to a close. And this makes it the time of year where every blogger goes, oh, I can't be bothered to write anything useful because it's nearly Christmas. I know, I'll do a best of 2007 thing. So um, normally I'm very lukewarm, as you might be able to tell, uh, <laughs> towards such things. But there is a great list um, of best-ofs over at the Web Designer Wall. And they have compiled the best CSS designs of 2007. And if you need some inspiration, it's definitely worth a look. Some really stunning stuff there. And it's definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Talking of rating your designs, you might also want to check out commandshift3.com which is basically a kind of hot or not for web design. If you ever come across hot or not, mm, no. then be proud of yourself. It's, it's the, the kind of trash of, of the low of the low of Internet. So what you do with hot or not <laughs> is you go along and you post up a picture of yourself, right? right? And then people say whether you're hot or not. So they rate you from 1 to 10 or whatever. I'm far too old for that. Yeah. It's a very funny site, and it's quite amusing. So this is a kind of web design equivalent of them. Actually, it's not quite like Hot or Not. It doesn't work in exactly the same way. Instead, they, they kind of have two designs side by side, right. and you have to click on the one you like the most, and it kind of keeps a tally of, of the really good sites and the crappy sites. Um, and uh, you can actually go in and, and look at the results and see which ones yeah. are hot and which ones are not. And it's very, very funny. I mean, s- some of the stuff that people put on there, you think, why would you even put your picture, uh, your, your <laughs> screenshot up? Well, it applies to the, the hot or not as well. Some, some of those people are so damn ugly. What were they thinking? <laughs> and it's the same with the websites. Oh, some of the websites are so damn ugly. What were they thinking? But no, it's, quite, it's a great source of inf- inspiration and also a good place to go to learn what not to do really (laughs) so there you go so that's the news so now we have the surprise from marcus marcus's christmas present to you so i know we referred this uh, to this as your christmas present to the listeners of boag world truth is actually it's a present i've given you that you've then wrapped up and given on because i wrote this bit that you're about to do and yeah. you're going to pass it off as yourself, aren't you? Yeah. I am currently in the process of wireframing an internal project. Are call. you? That's yeah. funny because I <laughs> thought I was doing that. Yeah. Um, we're working on a headscape. You know, that's where we both work, isn't it? Yes. Um, and it occurred to me that despite the fact that wireframes are a fundamental tool of web design. <laughs> you're so obviously <laughs> just reading this. <laughs> They are not something I have spoken about before. I, they I probably think, are, actually. But I think you should now close your laptop and do the rest <laughs> spontaneously. No, I probably could do that, but um, I won't. Because then, only because you want the show notes to be as accurate as possible. Absolutely. So you oh. are going to literally read it. <laughs> and I, I actually the, I, I flicked through it just before we started oh, right. recording. So you got a vague attempt. And I thought, well, the kind of wireframing that I've done isn't this sort of thing, so I figured... Uh, we ought to. We kind of we, do this I together. I can add something to this, uh, but I think you might want to talk about it as well, Paul. Okay, <laughs> I'll talk when you wish me to. Okay, you just say. <laughs> no, don't don't just point at me immediately. <laughs> right, Paul's article, which I will read to you. <laughs> this is so bad. Um, this is why we're changing the format of the show in the new year, so exactly. that you're not doing it every week. Mm. Because you can't think of stuff. I can't think of stuff, and also I was too busy out. Pitching. Oh, and I just sit around doing nothing. You do, don't you? Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you were too busy not to come, uh, to come to the presentation yesterday. Hey, that was very true. Did it go well? It went, yeah. I probably ought to ask that off <laughs> there, really. It, interesting. We sort of took a bit of a risk. 
Ooh. Um, yeah. We kind of thought that uh, the way to differentiate ourselves was basically to tell them what... To what jump in the room going, <laughs> Well, not quite that, no. More a case of we think what you're proposing is wrong. This is what you should be Good doing. Good for you. I'm a great fun. fan of that. Uh, anyway, we didn't talk about wireframing. No. So I might now. Hey, I love the way that you brought it back to the subject. I'm there. a professional like yeah, you, Paul. I know. Right, what's a wireframe? What is a wireframe? What Paul? is a wireframe? Well, fundamentally, a wireframe is a tool for rapidly prototyping a website. <laughs> they roughly <laughs> approximate the layout, content, and hierarchy of a web page, as well as the relationship between pages. Okay, that's enough Stop of that now. Because <laughs> I'm not actually understanding what I'm saying. No. <laughs> uh, effectively, I do understand this sentence. You are building a rough version of the site, and the reason for doing that is that you don't spend loads of time on a design that you can't basically translate into yeah. the right kind of it's, it's layout. About, it's about not becoming overly precious towards mm. something. So wireframes don't exactly look attractive. They're not really designed as such. That's they, not the point, rather, rather, they go for a sense of how the site is organised. Um, and in many cases, they kind of lack colour or imagery. Although there's no reason why they shouldn't have colour and imagery. They're just, you know, it's quicker. I think, I think if, well, imagery is not a bad idea to show where an image might be. Yeah. Um, but colour, I think, can put off the people who are testing it or yeah, reviewing it, can. it. That is true. Um, you know, they might sort of really object to the blue or whatever. Yeah. However, they kind of do, they, they kind of concentrate normally on visual hierarchy, layout, font, uh, font sizes, and shading and stuff like that. Yes. So, what benefits do they provide, Marcus? I wonder whether you could enlighten us. Um, they act as a reference point for the designer to work from. Dem- well, there you go. Demonstrating the relative importance of various screen elements. I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a well-written article, Paul. I know, it is. I wonder who wrote it. <laughs> um, they can be used to test with as well, which is useful. This enables um, you to ensure that users can navigate the site and find the key content that That's is Use them Helpful. the most. Yeah, I doing, mean that's it, the doing information thing. architecture. Sure. Um, certainly for uh, homepage, top level pages, that kind of thing. Uh, we have been wireframing those using PowerPoint more mm. often than not. Actually, yeah, I'm not uh, a great fan of using PowerPoint, but that's a per- we come on to that anyway. Okay, I, it's a personal preference. It's not not any logical reason for but, it. Clients really get it. Mm. It's it, rather than looking at a Visio diagram or an Excel spreadsheet. They go, "Oh, sure. right, that's what I'm." Yeah, what you meant. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm, um, I, yes, I'm definitely. I'm agreeing mm. with that. But I'm just saying whether mm. looks good. I mean, what you like about PowerPoint is you can click through, you yeah. know, from page to page, exactly. which is is really useful. I'll tell you another thing that they are useful for, and and I found this particularly working on the internal project I've been working on. That it's kind of helped me to flush out some of the details of a site that you kind of miss until you actually come to to designing the pages yeah you know and what can often happen if you don't do that is the designer or the developer kind of just make it up when they come to that problem and it's not particularly well considered so um so these things include all things like password recovery and error handling which if you wireframe you actually think of those things because you know you've just written a you know forgotten your password link and then you go oh well how how's that going to present it Yeah. yeah Where's it going to sit and that kind of thing, yeah. Okay. I've got no idea where we got to. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to seamlessly pick up on the next point. The next point is they help to define interactive elements such as Ajax and JavaScript in a way that a static Photoshop can, uh, mock-up cannot. In other words, more and more websites are becoming like applications with little bits of mm. changing here and there, and it's not just here's one page, here's the next. And so a wireframe allows you to demonstrate some of those things while a static Photoshop mock-up is you know can't really do that exactly and the final two points we've kind of covered which is um it helps the client to visualize how the site will work i've yeah. said that uh, and they identify navigational issues which need resolving i mean mm-hmm. that's why we use them in information architecture exercises mm-hmm. and i really really like them and, yeah and the more I, I don't know why we didn't do it more sort of over the past couple of years no, i'm not entirely sure either i'm sure we had a good reason we have used mm-hmm. them but um I mean, sometimes it comes down to budget, doesn't it? But actually, I've, I think you save yourself as much in money in, in kind of, you know, non-wasted time, if that exactly. makes sense. Yeah. So how do you create a wireframe? And this kind of comes on to some of the issues we've already touched on with, you know, PowerPoint or whatever. Often, um, 
you know, once you recognize the benefits of producing wireframes, the next question is, well, how do you build them? Mm. The answer is largely dictated by two factors, the time available and the complexity of the website. If you're really strapped for time, then simply sketching out some key pages is better than nothing. You know, a pen and a paper will, will do the job. Yeah. <clears throat> Even these can be used in testing and shown to the client. However, a sketch doesn't really show you interactive elements or the relationship between pages, which is where they fall down. If you've got a little bit more time, then you uh, might want to produce some key pages using tools like OmniGraffle or Visio. What's OmniGraffle? Oh, it's a Mac version of, of Visio. Visio, basically. Oh, right, okay. um, Box Builder and Arrows. Yes, and yeah, that kind like of thing. So better still is PowerPoint, which allows you to link multiple pages together, so creating a basic navigatable, navigatable, <laughs> navigatable, navigable. navigable site. Thank you. Um, but I have to say, I've since discovered, since you wrote this article, Marcus, yeah. uh, oh, right, yeah. that um, OmniGraffle and probably Visio actually does allow you to link together pages. But I, th- I think it's a bit more fiddlier than PowerPoint. Yeah, people and people again. It's it's about who you're pre- presenting it to. People get PowerPoint. Yeah, they all use it. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, they all they all get websites as well. So, I mean, building it, building it in HTML is not a, an awful thing. Yeah. But I think I was, I was going to say that I don't think you need to represent the entire site or the entire structure of the site. Uh, but maybe maybe if you did, then I would recommend HTML. Well, I mean that's. Um, this internal project, I've used HTML. Mm. And I think HTML, to be honest, is the most common tool for creating wireframes. Yeah. Um, of course, the downside of that approach is that you kind of, um, you you sometimes can become overly precious about your code. And I think personally, when it comes to wireframes, I prefer a kind of quick and dirty approach. Mm. So I do use HTML wireframes, but I have to confess, this is where I use the WYSIWYG editor in Dreamweaver. And everybody mm. kind of goes, ooh, the design <laughs> mode in Dreamweaver. That's the uh, spawn of Satan one that's that's never that's used. great. It. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you do. Um, but actually, I, I think it's really good for this because it churns out the pages. Um, and it, they're a mess. You know, it's a mixture of tables and CSS. But hell, what does it matter? Um, I don't care what's under the hood. All I care about is getting a sense of how the site um, you know, is going to work. Now, don't have to do it that way. You could actually have nice, clean, semantic code and wireframe that because the advantage then of doing that is that you can reuse that code when you build the actual site. Mm. Well, another way we, we've wireframed, I don't, I don't know in my own article here whether you come onto it. Um, <laughs> um, we've, on CMS-based sites, we've used skeleton version of the CMS to wireframe. Yeah, it's funny that you mention that because I do come onto <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> it. Oh, so, I mean, basically, a, a nicer approach is to use clean, nice semantic code, and, you know, you can then reuse that for the final build. Mm. Um, however, in my experience, that rarely works in reality. The only time I do use this approach is when we're building using our own content management system. It does come yes. on to that, doesn't it? Yes. The reason being is because um, our content management system already has nice, clean semantic code in it, um, and it churns out those pages just as quickly as Dreamweaver does. Mm. You know, um, but... In most cases, it's the speed that you want with wireframes because what you mustn't ever do with wireframes is become precious about them because the idea is that you're changing them and manipulating them and throwing them out and starting again. And, you know, they're they're the sketched version, you know. So the last thing you want to do is become precious. Um, Yeah, the key, as I say here, is that they should be quick and disposable. Uh, Wireframes are a place to experiment and try out new ideas. They're the place for testing and adaptation and not being overly precious. Sorry, yeah, I, I still rate PowerPoint the best, the, the highest, because uh, it's easier, I think, certainly for, for the likes of me, to change the layout of a home page or something like that, whereas the content management system route isn't. It's, yeah, uh, I'd agree with the content management system, but not true with Dreamweaver. You can just yeah, drag boxes around true. in exactly the same way. Yeah. I mean, the, the reason I like Dreamweaver over um, uh, PowerPoint is, one... It's quicker to interlink things. Mm. Dreamweaver is set up more for linking than PowerPoint is. And two, it's like in the wireframe that I've done for this, I've just, you know, I've just thrown in a couple of little bits of JavaScript that enabled me to do things like hiding and showing blocks and, and kind of giving an mm. impression of what the AJAX functionality might yeah. be like. You can do that in PowerPoint, but yeah. What, show, hiding and showing stuff on the fly? Yeah, Perhaps yeah. it's just a tool that you know best, yeah, yeah. really. It might just come down to that. I mean, PowerPoint will animate and everything. Yeah, can. I guess it will, won't yeah. it? Of course it will, yeah. 
So if your site is simple, um, one, then sketches or a tool like Visio is probably enough. However, if you want something more complex with a lot of pages, then consider HTML wireframes. Or I have now been corrected and should include PowerPoint in that, apparently. I think so. So there you go. That is Marcus's segment, even though he didn't really say very much in it. No. Well, thanks for helping me out there, Paul. Much appreciated. Any time I can be of assistance. (laughs) Okay, so in an attempt to feel at least vaguely (laughs) Christmassy, I thought... Paul's done a list. I've done a list, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was slagging that off earlier, and I've done exactly the same thing. I'm quite lukewarm about lists Are you quite lukewarm about them, are you? (laughs) <laughs> so um, I thought, as it's the holiday season, previously known as Christmas, why do you have to call it the holiday? Oh, because it's politically correct, yes, of course. What? Well, people go, the holiday season now, rather than talk about Christmas. They do in America, especially. But America's hugely religious. Yes, I know, but, you know, they are. Oh, and I'm not hugely religious, and I don't mind calling it Christmas. Yeah, well, that's what it is. That's because you're a middle-aged man that, that is grumpy and... Grumpy. And you will call it what the damn well you want to, and I don't <laughs> care about people with other beliefs. Sod them all. <laughs> I can't comment on that. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, so, as it's the holiday season, um, what gifts would you recommend to buy the geek your life and i thought i'd do a top 10 basically so it's a silly little blog post i did where i um wrote my top 10 um gifts for any kind of geek or web designer and what i've done is i've I've only recommended things that i actually own myself so that it doesn't sound like i'm begging from (laughs) please send me the following um and i've also tried to write things with a huge range of budgets so from massively expensive to incredibly cheap that's the idea yes I'm talking of expensive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think most people will get one of these for Christmas. How to? My wife is getting one. That's what she's getting for Christmas. Yeah, and like you're not going to use it. With, no, 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 no. <laughs> this one is for her entirely. It's, it's identical to the one I've got in front of me. I'll say what it is, which is I'd recommend a Mac for Christmas. I'm buying my wife a Mac. And do you know what? She's brought, bought a bright pink case for it. It's embarrassing. Right. Okay. Anyway. So a Mac is my first thing, yes, I know this is very expensive, but 2007 has been the year that I moved from PC to Mac. <laughs> the Chinese year of the Mac. The year of the Mac, <laughs> and I've never looked back. Um, best of all, um, it makes a great gift, I think, even if it's somewhat <laughs> expensive. Well, yes, I'd give you that one, Paul. It does make a great gift. I'd be really quite chuffed if someone yeah, bought me exactly. a Mac. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They look cool. They're a pleasure to set up, which means there's no swearing on Christmas Day when it doesn't work, because that's what I seem to spend most of my Christmases in the past doing, is yeah, swearing no, at things. That's sorting out your, your, your son's toys, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, why do they, why do they <laughs> kind of... It just everything... Kids' toys are so well-wrapped. Do you know, sometimes you have to get a screwdriver out and unscrew them from mm. the packaging. It's ridiculous. Flipping. World gone mad. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the grumpy old man. No, obviously I am too. Um, so yeah, it's, it's easy to set up, and um, given a week, you'll be insisting that everybody else in the world also moves to Macs, so that you don't have to continue to support them under Windows, because that's what all geeks spend their whole life, well, especially the Christmas holidays, mm. is go and visit family and fix people's PCs. So a week, <laughs> a week of using a Mac, and you'll be insisting that all your family has them too. Mm. But so, I mean, I've, gi- I've given up on the, I'm going to get a Mac, Paul. Have you? Yeah, well, the fact that I only get 50% of your emails and I, anything in calendar invite you sent to me doesn't add to my well, calendar. If you, uh, you get all of my emails. No, okay. I don't. I, yes, but the problem <laughs> I've had with my emails is nothing to do with the Mac. Yeah, right. It is nothing <laughs> to do with that. The, as regards Completely to, incompatible. It's with, not, In a business environment. Oh, and only Paul can get away with it, basically. If you move, if you move to a Mac, then it solved the problem because I'll, you'd be able to get my mail invite. See? It'd be fine. And nobody else in the rest of the company would. No, but then they'll all move to Macs as well and the world would be a better place. Right. So buying a computer, I admit, is a bit of a scary thing to do if you yourself are non-technical, <coughs> though I don't imagine there are many people listening to this show that are non-technical. Um, but just go along to an Apple store because they're so helpful and nice. And yeah, they're labelled. It's all so expensive. And they're labelled. Yeah, they're not anymore. <laughs> this this laptop that I bought my wife, which is exactly the yeah. same as the one in front of me, seven hundred quid. Yeah, that's great. And then another seven hundred quid in bits you have to plug into it to make it work with everything oh, else. <laughs> so anyway, that's true, and you know it. it, it you can spend a little bit more. It is true. 
Okay, so that's the Mac. Oh, we're, sti- we're still in the Apple shop. Yeah, so we are still in the Apple shop for the second one, but that's the last one. I shouldn't have put this second. And my second one is an iPod Touch. Which now, I'm, I'm going to get. You're going to get, are you? Yeah. I'm, maybe not for Christmas, but right, that's my next purchase. Ah. Now, my Sony is getting thrown in the bin. Yes. I don't blame you. Along with the huge Sony laptop. Yeah, here. why are you keep failed Sony? at the presentation yesterday? Oh. Plug, plug their projector in. Nothing happened. No. Oh, you're a Sanyo. I won't work with you. So we ended up having to do the. This is with eight people in the room. Do the, uh, you know, the the USB stick onto Chris's oh, laptop. No. And then yeah. I hate them. So anyway, I don't actually own an iPod Touch, so it shouldn't be on the list. But I do own an iPhone, which is basically an iPod Touch, but with a phone. Um, and I thought it was somewhat unfair to suggest that you buy somebody a gift that involved a £35 month contract that they have to pay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I didn't include an iPhone. But I do love my iPhone and can't imagine anybody not being pleased with an iPod Touch for Christmas. So why can't you get an, a, a huge uh, weighty memory version of the iPod Touch? I thought you could. But 16... You can get 16 meg. That's the biggest version at the moment. 16 gig. 16 yeah. gig, yeah. But... That's not very big. It's not that big, but it is big enough. Seriously, I've but, got, but why? Why? Why don't they do an eighty gig version of it? Well, because it would be because it would be massively thick. They just haven't got there yet. Give them another. But you can get an eighty gig normal iPod. Yes, but not with a massive big screen on it. <sighs> okay, I might not get one. Anyway, the <laughs> iPod Touch is sexy. It's fun to use, and it's definitely a cool toy for Christmas Day if you haven't played with one before. Sixteen gigs version starts at about two hundred sixty-nine pounds through the Apple Store, although you can buy them pretty much anywhere, so mm. that's good. Number three mm. is the Jawbone, which is a Bluetooth headset unlike any other. It's absolutely amazing, and I love it. I love it. I love it. But you still look like an idiot with one in your ear. You do, <laughs> but less so than some of them. I have to say, it's quite uh, an uh, the ones that sort of come down here. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm. Coming. Yeah, that like, doesn't really work. There's the um, pe- people that in, that insist. It's usually old guys o- over the age of sixty. You've got your um, your 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 Bluetooth headset, which actually makes you look like one of the Borg. Yes, and they walk around supermarkets with these things on. I'll show, you my, I'll show you my jawbone later. Have you seen the jawbone? Yeah, I think I have. It's, it's quite an attractive one. It's not too bad. But what really excites me about it is I've got awful hearing and have real trouble hearing mobile phone conversations. And, but the jawbone has got this most amazing noise-counselling technology um, that makes calls crystal clear no matter how noisy the surroundings. It is absolutely incredible. Um, I could do with that because I'm a deafie as well. Yeah, it looks cool, and I'm actually not ashamed to wear it in public. Unlike well, most you should headsets. be. The only places you can ever wear them is in the car. Otherwise, well, I can't say on air. <laughs> <laughs> I'm it, desperately trying to... The, the, in, in the band, our singer's written a song about this, about old blokes who go into supermarkets. Oh, is it? I can't remember what the title of it is. I'll come back to you on that one. Okay, we'll add it into the show It's very derogatory. Um, in my opinion, the Jawbone is one of the best headsets on the market. You can buy them from pretty much anywhere that sells mobile phones, and prices I've seen have been as low as £64, which I think is a bargain. Yeah, that is good. I mean, one I got cost more than that, and it's yeah, just exactly. a bog standard. Mm. Well, it's they, a- they've really come down in price, uh, all of them, to be honest. Number four, getting things done. Most geeks I know live a life of chaos, sad as that that is. Mm. Getting Things Done is a superb book that I've mentioned before and really has transformed my life and made me a more organized person. If you're a geek um, and your life um, is chaotic, then um, you... I've just completely misread that, haven't I? (laughs) Oh, well, never mind. If the geek in your life does not read... Then you can also buy this as an audio book, which is a bit of a bonus. Does not read. Sorry, well, I some, can't read. No, no, a lot of people <laughs> don't read books or never get around to sitting. Do you read a lot of books? Yeah, you do. You read I read loads of books. You? Yeah, but some people don't read. Yeah, well, I don't. don't, I, don't I can't read, um, you know, manuals and things like that. I yeah. just can't do it. No, I try. So you'd probably struggle to read this book because it's, you know, it's informational uh, ho- rather than I need a good story. Yeah, so there you go. You have it as an audio book. And then you can, I will uh, buy it for you as an audio book and pre-install it on your um, iPod Touch. There you go. Okay. Um, you can get the book from 7.14 at Amazon. Okay. Um, and tw- uh, $12.60 from audible.com if you want the audio version, which is about the same price really, isn't it? Yeah. 
So, number five in my list are Moo cards. And Moo cards are um, cool little cards, like mini business cards. And you can print 100 cards for $9.99, and each card can have its own unique picture. You can either upload uh, photos directly from your PC, or just grab them some random photos from um, your Flickr account. Um, they also, Moo now do loads of other stuff. They do stickers and postcards and all kinds of stuff. I love Moo. Did I... Did I call them Flickr? I meant no. Moo. You did say oh. Moo. Okay. Uh, slight aside on that one. Okay. We've had some uh, photographs done for the office. Yes. Um, which are superb. Yeah. And, they're enormous. Uh, yeah, these are really big ones, but they didn't cost very much. I think they were 15 quid or something I know. like that. And I can't remember the name of the place. Put it in the show notes, but I'm so impressed. They were, that was, yeah, I was blown away mm. by them. So, we're not putting it in the show notes because I'll forget. Yeah. So I, don't, just, I just said it. Yeah, just say it. But uh, uh, you know, as long as all the listeners Paul's understand, give, you, give everyone ten pounds. I, I, <laughs> at the moment, I've got to remember to go back in and change XXX on the the amount that people mm. have given. And you won't put the real value in. No, it. It'll get forgotten, won't it? Okay, number six is a Flickr Pro account because I was talking about Flickr. Mm-hmm. Um, if he, he is somebody that has Flickr, or if he doesn't, just upgrade him to a Pro account for Christmas. Flickr is the most awesome photo sharing site around. Um, and although it does have a free account, it's definitely worth upgrading. For just $25, um, a geek in your life can upload a limitless number of photographs. And I think that's a really cool little geeky one. Mm. Next up is a TomTom. My sense of direction sucks, and I couldn't live life without my TomTom GPS. Chances are the geek in your life doesn't get out much, because <laughs> they don't. Um, but if he does go out, he wanders around looking lost and confused. Um, a cool GPS in the car might encourage him to venture out of the house more. You never know. Um, they seem to sell TomToms pretty much everywhere these days. You can get them in Halfords or Currys. And prices seem to start at about £149. Um, and to be honest, the lower-end models seem perfectly good as far as I can tell. I've got a low-end model and, yeah, okay, I can't connect my Bluetooth headset to it, but do I really care kind mm. of thing. Number eight is a DVR or digital video recorder. This is what I want for Christmas. Yeah, do it. Such as TiVo in the States or Sky Plus is probably the most well-known in the UK. Do it, do it, do it, do it. It'll totally change the way you watch TV. These clever little boxes record TV programs to a hard drive, allow you to pause live TV and series link an entire season so that you never miss it again. Uh, Having one of these babies has changed the way I watch TV forever. It's just so cool. I cannot express it. If you buy Sky Plus online at the moment, you can get a box for £49, but it does require £16 a month. Um, it's 200 quid if you're already a Sky subscriber. That ah, sucks, doesn't that it? That does suck. Grr. Yeah, grr to them. Okay, I have to say that this last item... Oh, no, second from last. I'm lying for a start. It is going on a bit, Paul. Am say. I taking too long? Much too long, oh, as ever. you keep interrupting me. That's the trouble. <laughs> So this item did cause a certain amount of consternation. Yeah, that that's the correct. Well right. done, Paul. Just for once <laughs> on the show. Um, in, the, in, the, in the comments on the blog post, a lot of people said, why are you putting this in? You're so sad. You're so pathetic. Mm. And, it is, and? and it is a duct tape wallet. <laughs> I think They're rubbish. No, they're not rubbish. Why are you saying they're rubbish? I think they're cool. Now, it's not the most high-tech of gifts, I admit, but duct tape wallets are cool. Basically... They are wallets, well, made out of duct tape. <laughs> and I know that sounds strange, but they're great, they're great stocking stuffers. They're cheap, and they last forever. They're absolutely indestructible. Although some people argue that they last forever because nobody's willing to actually carry them around with them. Except but, you, Paul. But I think they're really good. I think they're really nice. And I bought mine Have you from- seen anyone ever with anyone else apart from you? Yes. Somebody that I bought a duct tape wallet for. <laughs> <laughs> who was really pleased with it as a present. Right. And I bought mine from um, Duck Tea, and it cost me a massive <laughs> Move 15 on. Move pounds. on now. Move, Move on. on. Okay, so the, la- the last item that I have in this section of the show is a Wii. Now, I know... I've got one. You've got one? Yeah. Ah, there you go. See, you are a techie, after all. <laughs> well, no, not really. I don't really. know quite how no. that works, but anyway. I know that they're in worldwide shortage, but you've got to try and get your hands on one of these babies. The geek in your life may sneer at it, but they'll find it strangely addictive. The novelty does wear off after a while, but not before you have many hours of fun watching your geek actually take exercise and socialise with other people. Bowling is the best thing ever. See, I find bowling one of the most boring. No, no, let me finish my sentence for once. Okay. It's um, when you're drunk with your mates. Yeah. uh, I know, let's all go bowling. And then, It's the best thing ever. Okay. All the others are a bit too hard when you're... When you're drunk. A bit cut, half cut. Okay. But bowling's brilliant. 
So good luck finding one of these. So you never tire of them, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That, Again, you're wrong, Paul. I think, no, <laughs> the novelty does wear off after a while. You shut your mobile phone up. That's very annoying. Anyway, um, the novelty does wear off after a while, I claim. But good luck finding one of these anyway. So it might yeah. be an academic debate because they're really hard to find. I've seen prices ranging from £270 to literally millions on eBay. No, you haven't. Well, quite a lot. Flipping, I've seen a, them very expensive on eBay at the moment. Um, so there you go. Actually, looking back through this list, I think I could recommend these gifts to pretty much anyone, not just the geek in your life. However, the real question is, what would you recommend? And so I'm encouraging people to post comments. See, it's going again. How annoying are you? <laughs> anyway, that's enough of that segment of the show. It's dragged on far too long. Um, and let's um, move on. Okay, so now we have the Ask an Expert section of the show. And we're going to do something a little bit different today because normally we have a specific issue we're talking about. But instead, we've got Matthew Patterson on the show. And he's talking a little bit about um, a new project that he's set up called the Email Standards Group. And um, as you will hear from what he's got to say, this is campaigning for better HTML and CSS support in email clients. So I thought it'd be great to get him on the show and really promote a little bit of what he's doing. So if you do any work whatsoever with HTML email, then uh, you'll definitely want to listen to this segment. Hello, world of BOAG. I'm here today just to give you a really quick introduction to the Email Standards Project. It's a new community effort that's just launched quite recently. If you're a web designer and you've ever created any HTML emails, you'll know that getting them to look you know, reasonably consistent across their major email clients is really hair-pullingly frustrating. I mean, at least with websites, there's only a few major browsers that you've got to worry about, you know, your IE and your Firefox and what have you. And thanks to the Web Standards Project, they're much improved from the days of the browser wars back, you know, 10 years ago. With email, you've got at least 12 big email clients with reasonably large market share that you have to worry about. Unfortunately, HTML email didn't get pulled along with the Web Standards Project. It's still stuck back in 1998, you know, with that uh, Celine Dion song from Titanic. Nobody wants to be stuck there. Over the last 10 years, web designers, and particularly kind of web standards-y type designers, have generally taken a bit of a just-say-no approach to HTML email. Don't send it, don't read it, just pretend it never, ever happened. Well, that approach has not been a spectacular success, to be honest. There's millions of people still sending HTML emails, but because the designers wouldn't touch them, they were just really, really ugly. And they just made designers hate the whole idea of HTML email even more. Well, guess what? It doesn't really matter because HTML email is here to stay, even if you hate it, even if you never wanted to exist or you think it was just wrong, it's here. And it's a default format in many of your uh, major email clients. And sometimes, just sometimes, it really does give a better email reading experience for the reader, better than plain text would. And, and a great example of that is the Threadless newsletter. Threadless is a big T-shirt seller on the internet that you've probably heard of. Every week they send an email with uh, pictures of the latest shirts that you can buy this week. Um, so can you imagine if they just send plain text and they try to, to describe what the shirts are like or they force you to click a link and go to the website and then scroll down and then see what the pictures look like rather than just putting them right there in your email. It's just, it's just not as much of a good experience. A picture, it really is worth a thousand words in this kind of situation. But here we are, 2007, almost 2008, and in order to get you know, a reasonably consistent rendering, web designers are still having to go back and dust off their old HTML table coding skills to use with email. Just to get things working reasonably close in Outlook, in Lotus Notes, in Gmail, in Yahoo, and Thunderbird, and it goes on and on. Well, at Freshview, we deal with the designers every day. I hear through them, from them through uh, Campaign Monitor and Mail Build, designers who are really struggling with this problem and sick of it. And we decided that we're going to just do something about it finally. And that's where the email standards project has really come from. So we got together with a few other people and we've put up a website. It's at uh, www.email-standards.org. And I'm sure you'll find a link for that in the show notes. But the whole idea, the central idea behind the email standards project 
is that we want to work with designers and with email client developers to improve support for web, web standards in email clients and in HTML email. It's not one of those websites, though, which is all talk and no practical use. If you, if you check out the website, jump on there and you'll see a bunch of tests and things we've done to work out you know, what does work and what doesn't work right now and what would need to be changed to make things better. So you'll find out, can I use padding and margins and floats and lists and which clients support them and which don't. It's kind of like the ACID test for web browsers that the Web Standards Project put out, except it's for email. And so if you've seen that, you've kind of got the idea already. And since we launched just a few weeks ago, we've already had some contact from the big email client developers uh, talking about what they will fix maybe or what they're prepared to talk about, which is fantastic. And you should check out the Email Standards Project blog for more information on that. So if you know the pain of designing HTML emails and you want to support the project, then there's a section on the site that, that goes through some ways you can help do that. And we've already had some great feedback from some of the big-name designers like Jeffrey Zellmans and Cameron Moles about how they're going to help. And if you're a website owner and you want to know why this matters for you too, then you should check out the site and read the section on why web standards matter for email. So basically, as it often does, it comes down to money. Better support for standards means your designers can spend less time getting stuff just to work and more time designing something customised to you. So thanks for giving me the chance to just say a few words about the Email Standards Project, and I hope you all do get a chance to jump onto the website and check it out and maybe get in touch with us. Email-standards.org Okay, so that about wraps up today's show. We've now moved back up into the office, which <laughs> we'd actually done you a minute have ago. noticed. Yeah, but um, they're all being very quiet. and I don't. It's not the end of the show, Paul. It's the end of the year. As far as podcasts go. Well, yeah. Next time, it'll be 2008 we're doing this. It will be. How exciting is that? <laughs> you sound I'm, excited. I'm really excited about next week and the week after. What? Do you know why? Because you're not doing them. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm on holiday. So when are we back? I can't even remember what date was. Uh, I think it'll be the 9th. Yes. So that'll be good. So really, we ought to prepare something before we go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. Like that's going to happen. So um, I think that about wraps up for today's show, except for Marcus's joke. Marcus, be witty. What? Now, bearing in mind you actually have an audience today. Uh, here we go. What goes at 150 miles an hour down, the, down your washing line? What does go 150 miles down your washing line? Does anybody know this one in the office? Honda pants. That is appalling. <laughs> There's complete silence <laughs> There's not even a sympathy laugh. That is so funny. Oh, another good one. Got another... another <laughs> Although I can't go on then go on then you lot do better <laughs> come on one of you t come and tell a joke no, yeah, no look, Mike look Mike wants to see they're no good uh, they're all Google, Google have just uh, released their new dating service yeah G-Spots yeah everybody's heard that one already <laughs> you're just so cruel they were laughing <laughs> at that one that got made laugh. laugh. They obviously aren't, they aren't in the hip in crowd that have already heard that joke. It wasn't funny when I first heard it either, but anyway. So there you go. On that depressing and rather pathetic note, I think that probably finishes today's show. Yep. Well, go away then. And, um, <laughs> See you in 2008. Yeah. Try, try not to spend all of your Christmas fixing family PCs. Thanks very much for listening and speak to you again soon. Bye.